Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Good morning and welcome to the 1CA podcast. My name is Sean Acosta and I'll be your host this morning. Uh, this morning we have uh, three guests from uh, U.S. Africa Command and those guests are Miss Lauren Ladenson, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kyle Corey, and Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Holmes. Uh, so I'll give you guys a brief uh, introduction to these three individuals and, and some of their background and then we'll, we'll begin to discuss uh, defense support stabilization. Uh, Lauren Ladinson joined the Department of State as a Foreign Service Officer in 2003. She has served in numerous posts to include assignments in Tanzania, uh, UAE, Ethiopia, Uganda, Zimbabwe, and Morocco. She holds a BA in American History from Brown University and an MA in International Relations and African Studies from John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. She is, she is currently the Stabilization Advisor at U.S. Africa Command from the United, uh, U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations. Lieutenant Colonel Kyle Corey received his commission in 1992 as a, a military police officer and later served as an infantry officer. In 1999, he joined the Army Special Operations Command as a civil affairs officer. He has planned and led combat operations and peacekeeping operations in Europe, Africa, Afghanistan, and the Middle East. He also holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology and Chemistry from Loris College. He has earned his master's degree from University of Chicago in Biology. Troy University in International Relations, and an MBA from Webster University. He currently serves as the Chief of G561 at U.S. Africa Command. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Holmes received this commission in the U.S. Army in 1994 as a field artillery officer from the United States Military Academy. In 2006, Colonel Holmes joined Army Special Operations Command as a civil affairs officer. He's deployed multiple times to Afghanistan and Iraq. He holds a Bachelor of Science in International Strategic History from West Point, a Master's of Management and Leadership from West Webster University, and a Master's in Military Arts and Science with a concentration in Strategic Intelligence from the United States Army Command and Staff College. He currently serves as the Deputy Chief J-56 U.S. Africa Command. So good morning and welcome to the 1CA podcast, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So the first question I have, uh, we'll, we'll kind of just jump right into it. This question is for you, Lauren, and I was uh, hoping that you could just explain a little bit to the audience the role of uh, the Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization and Operations and describe your, your kind of day-to-day activities as the Stabilization advi- Advisor at U.S. Africa Command. Sure. Um, 
So the Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations is uh, one of the State Department's functional bureaus, as distinct from a regional bureau. And uh, its mission is to anticipate, prevent, and respond to conflict that undermines U.S. national interests. Um, And so we have three lines of effort that we focus on. One is strategic prevention. The second is conflict resolution. And the third is security sector stabilization. Um, So essentially, we use data-driven analysis um, and people like myself, stabilization advisors posted overseas, um, to kind of work on implementing U.S. strategy, policy, and programs related to conflict prevention and stabilization. Um, And to do that, we interact and collaborate with partners across the State Department, um, USAID, DOD, kind of the whole interagency spectrum, um, as well as with outside organizations, NGOs, academic uh, institutions, think tanks. Um, In terms of my day-to-day at AFRICOM, um, so I I started new last August, um, and one of the first things I started to focus on was the Stabilization Assistance Review, um, which was basically an interagency effort to really examine our past, the U.S. government's past stabilization efforts and how we could improve them, how we could make better use of U.S. taxpayer dollars. Um, So um, one of the things I've done is try to socialize the principles that come from that stabilization assistance review at AFRICOM and to raise awareness and build buy-in along with um, Matt and Kyle and, and others at AFRICOM in, in how we as a U.S. government can approach stabilization differently. Okay. Um, a quick question then: Do you do you uh, where exactly in uh, U.S. Africa Command are you are you working at? Are you advising the commander inside of? I don't know how what the relationship is there um, from the Civil Affairs Division, or are you kind of your own separate entity uh, within <laughs> Africa Command itself. It's it's a good question. Um, so I sit in the J five six, the Civil Affairs Plans Division, um, and the reason for that um, is because. Um, that's the division that has responsibility for stabilization within AFRICOM. Um, but it's also true. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, um, an unusual, (laughs) it's an unusual position because I also try to engage across the command. So for example, I, uh, interact a lot with my USAID colleague who works at, um, SOCAF, um, Special Operations Command Africa. Um, and uh, one of the things I do is also try to, build relationships um, with other directorates. So for example, um, J2, uh, Intel folks, J3 operations. Um, I have been trying to participate in various working groups um, as I look for opportunities kind of to promote stabilization and and kind of infuse stabilization into AFRICOM's efforts. I'll, um, I'll go ahead and turn this over to Lieutenant Colonel Corey and Lieutenant Colonel Holmes. I got a question for both of you. um, And I was just curious if maybe, you could describe your roles in U.S. Army, uh, I apologize, not U.S. Army Africa. You guys are at the GCC. U.S. Africa Command J-5 in the Civil Affairs Division. Okay, I'll, Matt, I'll, I'll jump in and then uh, between the two of us, we'll kind of fill in the gap. So we are, we established about three and a half, four years ago. And um, all the GCCs re- received a, a Civil Affairs Planning Detachment or Planning Team or some of the, the some of them call it a CAP T. It's it's regardless of what it is, it's a five man team of active duty civil affairs that work at the GCC and provide civil affairs planning, uh, advising, <coughs> and a certain amount of operational um, 
interaction as well with the teams in the AO. So uh, we work in the J5. Uh, AFRICOM does not have a J9, so that makes us a little bit different, uh, but we're not the only we're not the only GCC like that. We are integrated in the J5. We're integrated with the plans division. Um, we also recently in the last year, year and a half, we absorbed the humanitarian assistance division as well. So now we are humanitarian assistance, civil affairs combined. And so what we do is we try to provide not only information and planning support to the command, uh, but also try to give some connective tissue and uh, unity of effort between ourselves, uh, SOCAF, USRAF, our Army components, our soft components, uh, as well as the teams on the ground, be it uh, reserve or active duty. So the, the things that I, I thought about was, you know, for what our role is, is like Matt said, we're in, you know, we are embedded in the, in the J5 plans. I mean, but we're intricately embedded within the B2, C2, WG roles, as well as uh, operation planning teams. Um, I mean, we're, we're leads for in, in our specific areas for the African campaign plan, the African campaign order, as well as specifically the Annex G and Annex V. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're providing, you know, civil affairs expertise to the, to the command and the commander on his plans on how he wants to do things. And I'll just add, because this is obviously a civil affairs podcast, and a lot of guys understand it. it we're, we're very much in that same role where the command didn't know they want it until they had it. You know, you, you have to get in there. We've established ourselves. We integrated ourselves into the working groups, a lot of the same thing that what Lord's doing and just steadily over time, um, proof positive of, of the work that we're doing and, and the importance of the work that we do. And, now um, I would say that we're we're fully integrated and and seen as uh, as value added to the command. So Colonel Holmes, you mentioned uh, the relationships you have with um, U.S. Army Africa and some of the other other service component commands. What does that look like with the the G nine um, in those in those commands? Well, really, the relationship is one hundred percent. It's it's collegial, so we don't have any kind of directing authority. Um, what we do is, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, that's the great thing about the civil affairs community is be it reserve or active duty. Um, everybody kind of knows everybody. So we, we have a collegial professional relationship as well as, you know, have, have worked with most of these guys before in the past. So we help to provide flow of information. Um, a lot of times if, if the, uh, Affairs sections, they need something, they're not getting something, they need more authorities, they need something in a strategic document to assist them and do their missions on the continent. Um, we coordinate and have that added to, you know, uh, campaign orders, campaign plans. Um, so I would say we're very much collaborative, we're very much cooperative, um, both in the information that we send down and the help that we send down, as well as that flow goes back to us too. So I think that's that's been the biggest thing is that we did is there was nobody who could talk civil affairs at the combatant command before we established our section. Um, and it's, it's helped to kind of connect all the people and then also help get the components talking to each other. Um, so I would say that we probably have a more cohesive civil affairs operating picture. We're a little bit, uh, we're definitely better directed 
in how we're accomplishing the commander's his lines of effort uh, across all the components. And um, not only is that us, but that's just with, like I said, the collaborative work between all of the sections. I can remember being in, um, in Africa in 2017. I, I don't remember exactly when the uh, cap T um, was stood up, but I think it was sometime around then. Um, and I, and I can remember this, thing come into light and you know as a as a tactical member of a ca team i wasn't sure exactly what that meant for us but you know what you just explained kind of brings it to light so if if there are some of those issues that ca teams are needing whether that's additional authorities or something else that's that's something that they should address with their perspective g9s right either at the tsoc or at the uh ascc and then they will uh, push that up to you guys Sure. Yeah, we try to keep the the relationship straight where we we talk to those GCCs or or that. But um, depending on if it's appropriate, you know, we we've had the opportunity to talk straight to CAT teams a lot of times because, um, as everybody listens, well knows these CAT teams are working at a tactical level and sometimes at the operational level and sometimes at the strategic level. So it's helped us to be able to coordinate with their commands and actually get the voices of these CAT teams heard. Uh, even at the combatant command level, we've had CAT teams that were doing critical to what is on the four stars radar at that time and then link them up. So um, that's just an inherent behavior of CA. You know, we were very hard to be pigeonholed. It were very hard to meet a normal command relationship. And I think we kind of helped bridge that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had the opportunity to, to, to we've had some great products that were created by SIM teams. We've had some great briefings that were done by, by cats and, and be able to bring that all the way up to the strategic level. And I think that's been really useful across the board for understanding the terrain. So if hey, I Sean, could, I, yes, sir, go ahead. I, I'd, I'd also, I'd also say that, you know, AFRICOM and specifically the, the plans division here for civil affairs provides some strategic oversight as well as guidance to, um, our components and direct reporting units, whether that be, you know, HOA or that be USRAF, you know, with, with, you know, what, what they're doing with civil affairs teams as well as SOCAF with the, the SMC program. I mean, we will provide them with guidance and, and if needed, we, we cut orders um, based on the command's direction for directive them to do specific things uh, within, within the continent changing their location, changing their mission set. So, uh, I mean, we, we, we do the overarching but, you know, plan, but we also provide them strategy um, and structure from that as well. I can remember, um, you know, my CMOC chief when I was in Africa, they were working to relocate that mission set. And I, I remember him working directly with the CAPT, so that makes sense, sir. So if I could, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit. Um, not too much, though. And just talk about, I'd like to get into some of the activities and programs that you all are working on um, at the GCC. Uh, but prior to that, I think it's important to kind of lay out or outline what stability is, you know, define that. Because oftentimes DOD definitions and Department of State definitions might differ. Um, and we do have audiences from both both of those fields. So if we could just 
maybe one of you guys or all of you guys, um, you know, kind of define what stability is uh, from from the DSS's perspective. Okay, I'm happy to start, and then um, Matt and Kyle can jump in if that's all right. Um, I think it's a really good question because part of what came out of the stabilization assistance review was one uh, overall definition of stabilization, um, which uh, I'm actually going to read it because it comes straight from that document and I think it encapsulates it pretty well. It's uh, stabilization is an inherently political endeavor that requires aligning U.S. government efforts, diplomatic engagement, foreign assistance and defense towards supporting locally legitimate authorities and systems to peaceably manage conflict and prevent violence. So that, that was the agreed upon definition that came out of the, the SAR. Um, and um, the reason for coming up with that definition is exactly what you just pointed out. Um, there wasn't agreement on it. So when we're all operating on one definition, it, it sort of it ensures alignment within the U S government. Um, so they were all working towards the same goal. Uh, I, I think what, what the, the great thing about having this definition is, and, and all of us sort of agreeing on it, is this is a, it's a statement, it's a codification of something that everyone has understood for years, but hasn't been institutionalized. So this is our basic D3 approach. This is defense development and, and diplomacy working together towards a shared goal, something we've all been doing. We've been doing it probably our entire careers uh, for, for us that, that, that came in at a certain time and have been doing all kinds of, of deployments and everything else and all kinds of uh, interagency efforts because that was the, the nature of the, of the conflict. So what I, what I really love about this, one of the exciting things about it is it was taking something everybody understood, codifying it, institutionalizing it, putting it on paper, and then really starting to, um, to, to, to turn out the roles and responsibilities of each of those, of those partners. And, it's a, it's a little bit fluid. I mean, it's a, it's a developing concept in a lot of ways, um, but, but, but really not in that primary intent, which is all three partners working together to try and solve and end the sources of instability that might exist in a certain situation or geographic area. I was going to add to, um, to what Colonel Holmes said. Um, also part of the emphasis is um, on empowering legitimate authorities to, to manage conflict. So moving away from large scale, really expensive efforts um, of the past and, and engaging in smaller efforts that build on each other and then um, kind of set the landscape so that local authorities can um, contribute to building stabilization. So a follow-up question, even with this definition, um, when you guys are, operating or working with other staff sections within the GCC and you're talking stability, do you find that there are differing, um, I guess not opinions, but understandings of, of what stability is and what that means for, for the GCC and then the different, uh, service components that are operating underneath them? Sean, you're just being silly. There's never any confusion between staff sections. (laughs) (laughs) Um, everything is clear and, and all, all branches of service love the, uh, nonlinear concept of civil affairs and stability as a whole. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, seriously speaking, there's a, a lot of what we do in a, and a large portion of what Lauren does when we rely on her is, uh, she educates, um, she's able to 
to talk about these concepts. She's able to uh, articulate them wonderfully in terms of how this, this fits. And, 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 and she also, you know, she takes in everybody else's definitions and is able to understand those. So um, no, there's, there's a good bit of confusion, especially when we were introducing this at the very beginning to, um, to the senior command, uh, there was a lot of times where we had to go, no, 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 this is what we're talking about is this, this is specifically what we're talking about, or you're thinking of st- stability, more of a tactical, we're talking about stability as a whole of government. Um, so yeah, a little bit of growing pains, but it, usually once people understand it and, um, one of the things Lauren goes to great pains is, is, is kind of explaining, you know, the benefits of it in terms of defense. Um, usually it, it, it's not hard to sell and it, and it gains a lot of traction. Yeah, and as well, the other good news about this is Matt and I both got to try and implement this uh, at the embassy level. So part of the stabilization annex review is um, we have seven countries, I believe, within Africa that, or seven or 11, I think it was, forget which one, 11 total, and then seven were in Africa. And Matt and I were actually on two of the planning teams going down on, on the continent to work within the embassies to do their, their annex review and, you know, coming up and talking with, you know, embassy staff on here's the applied stabilization uh, definition and, and, and having, having to go through that from, from their standpoint was a learning process and then bringing that back here to our command and, and telling them kind of our lessons learned at the, at the uh, embassy uh, was uh, educational at best for us. And I think, I think we did a good job of it because we had, we had a lot of support from state and aid. The other thing here on, in the GCC is we have, you know, other people besides us within the, the, our staff directorate. I mean, we have the senior development advisor as well uh, from USAID and, and you know, uh, Barbara Hughes and uh, uh, Sheila Roquette, you know, they, they chime in with, with the definition as well. So it's not just us talking. It's, it's everyone that's uh, has been put on this to, to champion that definition. Colonel Corey, just to clarify, when you're talking about the annex, you're referring to the integrated country strategies for those uh, embassies, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, you know, part of the integrated country strategy was them to do a specified annex review on stabilization. And, and, uh, and you know, we had AFRICOM actually sent uh, teams down on, on the continent to work within different embassies to help them out with their with their annex to that integrated country Saturday. All right. So I, we, you know, we have this, uh, we've talked about what the definition of stability is actually from the um, defense support stabilization uh, or that directives perspective. So maybe let's talk a little bit about what defense support stabilization is and what was the, uh, I guess, um, launching point for this, uh, directive 3000.05 um, that kind of pushed this whole thing forward. I can, I can talk about uh, defense support to stabilization a little bit. Um, I think there was a realization as this new definition of stabilization was developed and um, the stabilization assistance review was drafted that um, state and USAID can't always 
um, do the things on the ground that they might need to do in a conflict setting without the support of the Department of Defense. And so I think um, some folks in OSDP drafted this Defense Support Destabilization Authority as a way to provide, a concrete way to provide support um, to civilian personnel uh, to help them access conflict-affected areas in need of stabilization. Um, and that that is still a work in progress. I, I think as um, Colonel Holmes and Colonel Corey were saying before, this is a um, a new endeavor and so a work in progress. And so just trying to figure out what exactly does it mean, um, you know, for DOD to be supporting um, civilian efforts in in conflict areas. Um, And so there were four specific countries designated to um, designated for this defense support stabilization authority initially. And those are Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia. So for Africa, obviously Somalia is the one we care about. Um, Yeah. So there, there are still efforts underway to identify the exact funding and what type of proposals this um, DSS could support. But the idea is that um, to put something concrete behind the definition of stabilization, if that makes sense. No, that, that makes sense, Lauren. Um, so with those countries you just named, I guess I would ask, is, is U.S. Africa Command, is that the only command where DSS has been initiated? Is it across all GCCs or I think you are the only other uh, area of responsibility I heard was perhaps uh, Central Command? Right. It's CENTCOM and AFRICOM at this point. We've been talking with uh, Ms. Lauren Ladenson, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Holmes, and Lieutenant Colonel Corey, uh, all from U.S. Africa Command. Uh, after the break, I'd like to talk with you guys a little bit about uh, U.S. Africa Command's role in stabilization on the continent and how the DSS has is, is kind of pushed that role forward. If you enjoyed this podcast and others, please remember to subscribe and hit like so the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on the www.1capodcast.org. Again, that's www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners and allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. Again, that's www.unomiajournal.com. If you're not a member yet, visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Starting with cadets or midshipmen, membership is only $10 a year. We then have our basic annual membership at $40 per year and two years at $60 or finally a three-year membership for only $80. Our most popular and best value option is a lifetime membership at a one-time price of $200. Be a member and don't miss out. 2020 is a big year with transformational changes underway. Lots of new opportunities for members. Don't miss out. 
right, so welcome back to the 1CA podcast. Uh, before the break, we were discussing, you know, what exactly defense support stabilization is and, and uh, you know, a, a codified and, and shared definition of what sta- stability was across all of the uh, three Ds, if you will, defense, diplomacy, and development. So the next question I'd ask for you guys is, you know, Department of Defense Directive 3000.05, it states that Department of State's the lead federal agency for stabilization efforts. So in saying that, uh, U.S. Africa Command is obviously a Department of Defense. Uh, so what is, what is their role uh, in stability on the continent of Africa? If you don't mind, I'll start off with this one just because I think that um, what's poignant about this is is not only just what AFRICOM, but it's it's across the board. So um, we've all had a lot of lessons that we've learned over the last 10, 20 years, a lot of them in Iraq and Afghanistan. And what was what kind of became skewed doctrine um, from working in those environments for so long was kind of a reversal of the roles and responsibilities that DSS talks about. So this really helps to re-educate and, and confirm that state is in the lead um, with the stabilization, with some of the stuff in, in terms of humanitarian assistance and that, which is um, a little bit new some, to some commanders or some commanders. It's, it's an uh, adjustment period where you're, you're explaining to them and referring them to the to documents that um, in this role, usually what, what happens is state is in the lead, um, state is, is pointing in the right direction is stating is, is helping to uh, prioritize and to set goals. And then you have USAID serving as, as an implementer and, and using all the great projects and programs that they already have in a lot of these areas and retooling them or, or retargeting if need be. And then defense is really in a support role. We really are in a, we are here, we're ready to support, we are waiting for you to give us um, a capability gap that you can't meet or some other, some other uh, tool or resource that we can assist with. Um, and in that we've, you know, we've seen it with, we're always standing ready to help with transportation. We're always standing ready to help with um, advising. We, we can help with setting up planning and everything like that, but it's, it's really been great to see everybody come together and back to the original roles and back to the original focus of how do these three D's work together and, and how are these roles defined? Yeah, I'll just add that uh, 3000.05, the, the language from 3000.05 is very similar in some cases, the same as the language um, from the stabilization assistance review uh, regarding the definition of stabilization. Um, so that I think is just part of the effort to align um, state aid and DOD um, in regard to stabilization efforts. Um, and I think also I, I like to put a lot of emphasis on the interagency nature of it. So roles were defined for each agency at the same time, we're, we're looking for an approach that kind of, looks across the spectrum, sees what everyone is doing, and then tries to sequence and, and layer activities and programs um, so that we're all working towards a political end state that we've defined in advance. Um, and I think that's kind of a key part of it. So I would, I guess uh, my question with all of that would be, would you find, what's the biggest issue um, with this so far? Is it, is it, 
going back to what Colonel Holmes has said, is just trying to reiterate to the Department of Defense, hey, we're in a supporting role when it comes to stabilization. I guess that's that's where I would kind of kind of go initially because you know the last 19 years or so feels like we've been in the lead of you know Afghanistan. And I don't want to say so much Iraq uh, with the transition. You know that was definitely Department of State, um, but you know generally those commanders have been able to kind of operate autonomously under their commanders in state and kind of do what they needed to do. So is now that that shift in mindset is that is that a an obstacle to to implementing uh, DSS? I don't, I don't know if that'd be an obstacle, Sean. I think I think it's it's a learning process again. Like like Matt and Lauren were saying was you know Department of Defense has got to learn to be a you know a supporting effort when it comes to you know stabilization efforts and and and, and we're doing that on the African continent. It's just you know it, it, again we're, we're trying to I, I don't want to say unlearn bad habits, but but you know, the, you know the, the things that we've done in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, we you know we've we've learned from those mistakes that we did, and we don't want to repeat those. And so I think that's why you know DODD three thousand dot oh five and and SAR annex and defense support to stabilization all kind of came up and and came into into play of what Department of Defense roles is. That's it. I think that's great. I think I think that's really good in a nutshell. It's it's with anything with anything civil military with anything that isn't you know an easy tactical explanation a plus b equals c. It's hard to sometimes you to properly visualize for the commander for the decision makers what the so what is. I mean, you come to them with this document, you come to them with this program, you explain to them what it is, and they go, that's great, I, I'm all for it, or, or I don't, it doesn't, if it doesn't affect me, why should I care? Or if it doesn't affect me putting troops on the ground, if it doesn't affect me, you know, accomplishing a military objective, what is the so what? Why do I care about this? And a lot of times it's understandable when you're talking to any kind of commander who has 5,000 things they're trying to track. They're getting input and they're having priorities thrown to them, not only from, you know, the national capital region, but also from, um, you know, the embassies. They're talk, constantly talking to ambassadors. They're talking to commanders. It's really trying to explain to them how stabilization helps with everything else that they're working on and, and being able to, to, to go through the widgets and provide a good, clear description of the value of it and how it ties into his his objectives and his lines of effort um, in in his campaign plan and the other priorities and, and requirements that are placed on him by the other uh, the other actors in the region. I'll just um, add as well that um, you know I think it, it, there is a shift in thinking um, that needs to happen, and all each agency. I, is stovepiped in a way. So, so it's all of us getting out of our stovepipes um, is a challenge. Um, and I think also this is, this is very new. We're still feeling our way. So um, Kyle mentioned earlier the um, annexes to the integrated country strategies. And uh, so there were 11 countries identified. I think eight of them are in Africa. And that was an attempt to say, okay, what does this actually look like? If we have to put down on paper 
what the approach to stabilization would be, the whole of government stabilization approach in a country. What does that look like? Um, and it's a very new exercise. So I think one of the challenges um, is not, not only building awareness and buy-in for the principles of, of stabilization, but just what does it look like in practice um, on the ground? And, and we're still figuring that out. So on that topic of, of practice and what it looks like on the ground, um, what, what kind of programs or policies are you all working on um, there at the GCC to, to implement? Um, well, I think one simple thing that um, we started to do is just uh, within our, our civil affairs team at AFRICOM, um, just talking about how we can factor in other agencies' activities into planning um, a little more. Um, and it's not a giant step, but I think it's, it's an important one. Um, you know, Kyle was talking earlier about, um, you know, the role that civil affairs planners play and, um, you know, the plans and the strategy and all of that. And so sort of adding a node to that, that's, okay, well, what, what is USA doing in this space? What is state doing? Um, and how can we leverage those other activities in a way to get more bang for our buck, essentially, in what we're doing? Well, uh, another way that, that we've been assisting in terms of, of programs and that is there's a, uh, there is funding that is becoming available. So uh, obviously when you're a commander, first thing you're going to ask about is something is what are my authorities and what are my resources? What are my funding? So some of funding is becoming available for us to specifically apply against stabilization uh, ends. So one of those for us are the biggest country for us that we're focusing on right now is Somalia. There is a, funding available for that. So really what, what we try to help with in, in the staffing process and integrating with the other divisions is um, educating them on the availability of these funds, transmitting the information down to the tactical level, and then receiving back input. So in other words, saying, hey, there's money, getting that information down to the teams that are operating in the region, and then getting their projects and their programs, that input, and then communicating that back so that they're able to get a hand, their, their hands on those resources. It's very similar to ODACA funding. It's very similar to the process that a CA team would go to do anything in OASIS. Um, processes are a little bit different. Authorities and permissions are a little bit different. And right now, the, per, the overall authorization is being held at a very senior level in USG, but this is also the pilot program. So it's it's actually pretty exciting. You're part of something from the ground up. We're developing this. We're trying to learn from all of the lessons that we've had from different programs and apply that to this to make it something that is efficient and something that can legitimately attack the sources of instability and help not only uh, our teams on the ground, but all of, all of the folks, the embassy folks, the USAID folks, everybody who's all trying to point their resources to solving a common problem and, and to make life better in these, in these, um, very unstable, very, uh, very precarious situations in some of these countries. On the topic of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lauren. I was going to say on the topic of uh, funding, um, there is something called the Global Fragility Act that was just passed last December, um, which is supposed to allocate $1.15 billion over five years um, for efforts to um, address instability in, in fragile states. Um, and I, I think it's important, as Matt mentioned, that um, 
this is gaining traction in the sense that there um, is becoming uh, funding is becoming available for for some of these initiatives for some of these initiatives. You know, that was probably one of the largest frustrations I would have at the tactical level, at least, is you know, once you're on the ground and you're you see all you've done all your analysis, you understand the situation. Um, and you've kind of decided on a program or project, okay, this is how I'm going to get after this, this vulnerability that's within this area. The biggest question at that point was, okay, well, how am I going to fund this? Um, and ODACA is a method, um, but the ODACA timelines are generally a little bit longer. Sometimes they can be expedited, but that was always, that was always an issue. Uh, and I know it's an issue for tactical civil affairs teams. So, that's that's encouraging to hear that there's um, additional lines of funding that are going to be opened up. Yeah, and I think another part of this that we should talk about is um, the role of international partners. Um, so some of the impetus for looking at how we spend our foreign assistance and, and how we can improve our stabilization efforts was because we were spending a lot of taxpayer dollars um, without the, the end results that we were looking for. Um, and so as part of the new approach or the new thinking is um, which is in line with overall government policy um, is to look to our international partners and and have a greater awareness of what they're doing in the spaces that we're working in, what they can be doing. Um, And so that we're not only working among the interagency to improve our efforts, but we're also working with um, partners and allies. That makes sense to me. And that was one of the things, and I hate to keep doing this, you know, going back to these uh, anecdotes of, from my time on, in Africa. But, um, yeah, that was one of the biggest things that, that we ended up doing as well as working with these international partners. And to be honest with you, um, just due to the lack of funding and, and opportunities to, to advance some of those programs or projects, we worked with them and they were able to do some of that for us. So uh, I'd like to, to ask a little bit, Lauren, about um, – you mentioned the synchronization of, of these USG efforts. So have you guys uh, encountered any issues with synchronizing, you know, defense, diplomacy, and um, development? And if you have, how have you, how have you overcome them? Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I mean, I, I think we're really in the initial stages of this. So, um I don't, I can't think of a particular issue we have run up against um, because at this stage, um, a lot of the focus is still on raising awareness and um, sort of talking broadly about the stabilization principles. Um, So I think, I mean, I think this is our challenge is to figure out how how exactly do we synchronize these efforts. And it's part of the reason that, the CSO Bureau has my position uh, at AFRICOM um, embedded with the J56 is because it's much easier for me to be there physically and engage with um, interagency colleagues um, and to try to hash some of this out than it would be, um, you know, if we were all in our separate spaces. So I guess I'd, I'd caveat what Lauren said with, you know, we're, you know, where we are learning. And again, I think it's, you know, what does, you know, Department of State being the lead implementing agent, uh, lead agency, what is the, the lead implementing agency of USAID? What does that mean and what is it they need? And then, you know, again, you know, Department of Defense looks back and they say, oh, you're in support. Okay. So then 
we kind of have our own definition of what support is and how we want, you know, so when, when, when we are not in the lead, um, we're supposed to be, here's how we, you know, we would do something, but if we're not in the lead and we're, we're just expecting to wait for something to occur, um, or, you know, something to be asked of us, I think then that's, that's the learning, you know, apparatus that we've got to get over is, you know, we, we can provide, uh, Department of State and USAID with some recommendations of things that we see on the continent. Um, but as, at the same time, you know, we don't want to get ahead of what Department of State as well as USAID wants to do for, for their efforts. And so th- I think that that is the, the learning process for us to overcome within the GCC and USG efforts. Yeah, we, we have a funny conversation frequently, I feel like, in, in our office at AFRICOM, um, talking about exactly this, that DOD is in the supporting role and the Department of State is supposed to be in the lead. And so when I arrived, people were saying, okay, so tell us, you know, what, are you, <laughs> what do you want? Um, and I always like to emphasize that DOD has a lot of expertise to offer. Um, and that's why actually uh, some AFRICOM planners went to... Um, a few countries in Africa to help uh, last spring with the stabilization assistance review annexes because they had um, background experience, expertise, um, planning skills that were very useful in the process. So um, I don't disagree with what Kyle said at all, but I do think it's important um, to recognize um, the expertise that DOD brings. So I guess my, my final question for you all then would be, and we've talked about um, some of the, you know, challenges of just raising awareness of what uh, stabilization is and the Department of Defense's role within within that. Um, so I guess I'd ask, what's next? You know, how does the how does the U.S. government continue to improve our stabilization efforts? You know, in both pre-conflict and post-conflict environments. And then I'd also pose the question: You know, what what can civil affairs do uh, as a regiment? Both, you know at those staff levels um, and then at the tactical levels to, to assist in those efforts. I think the great, the growth, the first point to make, especially when we're talking about way forward is that just understanding that this is a, this is a, this is a thing. This isn't, we're developing our processes, but DSS, the documentation, the work that's been done in Washington, the authorities, a lot of the funding, this is all something that has already been established. And this is something that is, uh, has buy-in and isn't uh, conceptual. It is a, a reality. So it's really just educating the forces and then getting them in touch with uh, everything that they need to to enact this. So for us, it's a lot of creating connective tissue. It's it's talking to embassies. It's talking to ambassadors. It's talking to commanders and. And selling, not not so much selling the program, but just educating and informing that this is a wonderful tool that's in your toolbox. You have all of these resources, and it it really serves to help bind the three these three Ds that are that are pillars of success for this. So, for me, for for other civil affairs, or for poll ads, or for anybody who's operating in USG, there's anything to do with stability or anything to do with a whole of government approach to solving these problems. It is just continue collaborating. A lot of country teams are already doing this. You've got SDO DATs that are daily talking to the USAID. 
um, the the MC twos they may be talking to you know the ambassador they're talking to the to the the various state folks so um, collaborate focus um, and if you if you don't if you haven't already heard about DSS if you haven't heard about stabilization then um, then send that send that RFI up you know if you contact any CA unit they're going to be able to send it up to the next CA unit and it will get to your combatant commands and it will get to your CA folks and they will be able to get you that information. They'll be able to push that data down to you. They'll be able to talk about projects that might be available to you. So um, it's, it's out there. It's not, it's not pine the sky. Now it's a real thing. And it's, it's a great tool that just needs to be employed. There are also some specific efforts being made, uh, to encourage the next steps, to encourage progress. Uh, One of them is um, monitoring and evaluation of the SAR process. So we've mentioned these uh, ICX annexes that were drafted. um, And now there are three countries, um, CAR, Niger, and Somalia, where a team, an interagency team really, is going to do some monitoring and evaluation, strategic monitoring and evaluation of those annexes to see um, have they been put into practice if so, has it been successful? Are adjustments needed? Um, so that's one concrete next step that's being taken. Um, there's also something called the Demonstration Project. So the U.S. Institute for Peace had a task force on extre- extremism in fragile states um, that kind of laid out a plan for preventing um, um, fragility in states. Um, and so there is a process underway to try to identify a country um, in Africa where um, we can put in practice, into practice some of these um, approaches and principles um, and really a pilot project, I guess is what you would call it, um, to see how we can make forward progress. All right. Well, with that, I will, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and end the podcast with that final question. I think that's a good stopping point for us, you know, to discuss the way forward and how we can, we can try to, progress dss at least or uh, you know it, like you were saying colonel holmes it, it, it is a thing it's here it's not going anywhere so we might as well embrace it um and just realize that it's there and i and i personally think that um it's good for the continent of africa to and encouraging to see that we are synchronizing this and, and we've got some something in you know on paper that says hey this is this is defense's role in stability here's the countries where we're going to push forward at or the continent we're going to be pushing forward at um and here's here's what you should be doing and here's the agencies that you should be reaching out to and here's everyone's role in this um and then like you said i think it's just going to take some time to build that awareness um you know some education on uh everyone's part maybe on what their counterparts roles are and what they should be doing and how that that'll look in the future and i think it'll only get better so i just want to thank you guys for coming on the one ca podcast uh, it's been very informative for me, and I hope the audience finds it as uh, you know, intriguing and informative as I have. So thank you guys all for, for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Sean.